Good morning, Sagemont. Um, it's good to be with you today. Uh, thank you for tuning in and joining us from wherever you are. Um, it's an honor to be with you. I look forward to the day when we can be together uh, live once again. Let's be praying to that end. And so we're coming to our final week on our eight-week series on the Beatitudes. And I hope that you've enjoyed these sermons. Um, I hope they've challenged you. Um, I hope they reminded you that as a follower of Christ, that we're to live our lives in a radically different way than the world. Now, if you're joining us um, here at Sagemont today for the very first time, Jesus begins these Beatitudes, which are attitudes and attributes of a follower of Christ. He begins each one of them with the word blessed. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers and so on. And the word blessed is the Greek word makarios. And it's a word that means fully satisfied. It's a word that means completely happy. And so with the word blessed, Jesus is making a radical and a bold claim that the highest form of human satisfaction, that the greatest experience and the highest experience of human blessing is found in following him and living out the Beatitudes, that that the highest experience that you can uh, experience blessing is not found in anywhere in the world, but it's found in following him. And so in a very real sense, what Jesus is saying is that the best way you can live is to live out these Beatitudes. Now that's interesting, because several years ago, a fellow pastor down the road here in Houston wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. And um, it sold 8 million copies around the world, um, spent a couple of years either at the top or near the top of the New York Times bestseller list. It was one of the best-selling Christian books in Christian publishing history. And in it, this pastor, the author, gave seven steps to your best life now. In other words, he's claiming that if you sort of live out these seven steps, you're going to experience the highest form, the best experience of human blessing. I've got them for you here, I wrote them down. Number one, he said you need to enlarge your vision. Vision is important, you gotta enlarge it. He said, number two, you need to develop self-esteem. Self-esteem is good, you need to develop it. Number three, discover the power of thought. And so you gotta find and discover the power of thought. You gotta let go of your past, and that, that's true, you do need to let go of your past. Number five, you need to find strength through adversity. Number six, you give back to others. That's true, you need to do that, give back to others. And number seven, he said, you need to choose to be happy, okay? Now look, all those are good things. But what's interesting, church, is that 2,000 years ago, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, already gave us a list of what he said are the things that will lead you to live your most blessed life here on earth. And as it turns out, Jesus' list is radically different. He said we're blessed when we're poor in spirit. He said we're blessed when we mourn our sin. He said we're blessed when we're meek. He said we're blessed when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said we're blessed when we're merciful. He said we're blessed when we're pure in heart. He said we're blessed when we're a peacemaker. And then he gives an eighth one. He doesn't stop at seven, he gives eight. He says you're blessed when you're persecuted. You're blessed when you're persecuted. Now being persecuted didn't quite make the list of 
my pastor friend's seven steps to your best life now. But that's the beatitude that we're gonna look at today. And so let's read it together. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter five, verse 10. Matthew chapter five, verse 10. And I'll read it. Jesus speaking, this is the last beatitude. And he said, blessed, fully satisfied are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Who in the world, who in the world says that the highest experience of human happiness is found when you're persecuted? Well, Jesus does. As a matter of fact, let's keep reading. Matthew 5, 10, one more time. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And look at what he says in verse 11. He says it again. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Church, check this out. This is the only beatitude where he uses two sentences to explain it. As a matter of fact, he says the word blessed twice. It's the only beatitude where he says the word blessed twice. Jesus seems to be making the point that we're doubly blessed when we're persecuted. Now, before I go any further here, I want to stop and ask you a question that I've asked a, a couple of times through the series, and it's an important question. It's, do you believe that? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you actually believe Jesus when he says, you are doubly blessed that the highest form, the highest experience of satisfaction and blessing and happiness you can find in this life is when you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do you believe that? It's an important question to answer because guys, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, if I were preaching this text, at this point in the sermon, I would have gone into a point about how in America, we're not really persecuted. 25 years ago, I'm preaching this, that's what I'm talking about right now. I'm saying, hey, we live in America, we're not really persecuted, but hey, it's coming, so get ready for it. But here's the thing, that's not the case anymore. 20 years, in America, 20 years ago in America, nobody was being persecuted for being a Christian, but that's not the case anymore. Is that bottom line in today's society, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ is going to cost you something. As a matter of fact, I think it's getting worse every day and every year in this country. You know, 20 years ago, think about it. 20 years ago, the majority of Christians, and really the majority of Americans, believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And, but now to say that, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven will, will not only put you in the minority, but it will mean that you're called narrow-minded and, and mean-spirited and maybe even hateful. And 20 years ago, for you to hold to the 2,000-year-old traditional biblical beliefs uh, regarding marriage and gender and sexuality was commonplace and would cost you absolutely nothing. But now to hold to the 2,000-year-old traditional biblical beliefs on marriage, gender, and sexuality at best will mean you're called a bigot. And at worst, mean that you could receive public ridicule and might even cost you your job. And 20 years ago, for you not to believe in evolution 
but to hold to a six-day literal creation by God, which I do, by the way, was absolutely common. It was a common belief in in society 20 years ago, but now, if you hold the belief of a literal six-day creation, that's gonna mean that you're called backward, it's gonna mean that you're called uneducated, and you're gonna be called stupid. Guys, I could go on and on, but the point, church, is this, is that if you make a decision that you're gonna be a sold out follower of Jesus Christ in today's society, you are going to be persecuted. And it's probably gonna get worse. And so it's more critical now than ever before in our lives that we answer that question. Do you really believe what Jesus says that we're blessed when we're persecuted? Because guys, deep down inside, if you don't believe that, that when persecution comes into your life and it's coming into your life, you're gonna respond in an ungodly way. You're gonna respond in a non-Christ-like way that does not bring you blessing. And so the rest of my sermon today, I wanna look at three points. I wanna look at three points that help us see how and why persecution is a blessing and how we're gonna respond to that. And so here they are, if you're taking notes. In the life of a follower of Jesus, Number one, persecution is supposed to be inevitable. Persecution is supposed to be inevitable. Number two, persecution is supposed to be for righteousness' sake. Jesus says that our persecution is supposed to be for righteousness' sake. And number three, Jesus says that persecution is supposed to be a cause for rejoicing. All right, so those are the three things we're gonna look at today and we'll be done. But let's look at the first one together. Number one, Jesus says persecution is supposed to be inevitable. And so for us to get to the place where we realize that when persecution comes, that it's a blessing is we have to first get to the place where we remember and we realize that Jesus said it was an inevitable thing coming into our lives. And so look at Matthew chapter five, verse 10 again. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now look at verse 11. He said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now I want you to notice what Jesus does not say there. He doesn't say, blessed are you if others revile you. He said, blessed are you when others revile you. Jesus speaks about the reality of persecution in the life of a believer as if it is a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen. You know, one of the reasons I think that we struggle in today's society as believers to view persecution in our lives as a blessing is because we're 21st century American Christians. And, And 21st century American Christians, when persecution comes, it seems to take us by surprise It shocks us. We're Americans. And so we're sort of hardwired to think and and, and believe that that as Americans, we deserve a persecution-free life. So we forget and we lose sight of the fact that Jesus said that persecution was an absolute inevitability in our lives because we follow him. Don't turn there, but just read there. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I want you to listen. In Matthew 10, 16, He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In verse 17, he says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. 
And he says, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you will say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And then in verse 22, he says, you will be hated for all, for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so many of us guys in this country are stunned and we're surprised and we're angered when person, persecution comes in our lives in this country, but for 2,000 years, Jesus has been screaming from the rooftops, it's coming. And even the apostle Paul talked about the inevitable reality of persecution in the life of believer and the believer in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says this, he says, indeed, all, all, who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Sagemont, listen, if the persecution that's coming to us in America as believers is surprising you, it's because you haven't been reading your Bible. In multiple places throughout the scripture, the Bible over and over and over again promises us that it's gonna come. Now, that brings us to an important question. And that's why. Why is it gonna come? Because Jesus was persecuted. The early Christians, the early church was persecuted. Christians throughout history have been persecuted. And so why? Why in the world do followers of Christ inevitably experience persecution in their lives? Well, here's the answer. And I want you to listen carefully. Your righteousness, by its very nature, is confrontational to a non-believer. Your righteousness is confrontational to the sin of a non-believer. I'm not saying that you're gonna be confrontational, but what I am saying is that your righteousness will be. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. So there's a few things that we know about every human being that's alive today. Number one is that if even if someone is not a believer, Every human being that's alive today was created in the image of God. Everybody that's breathing air today, everybody that's ever lived, they were created in God's image. Here's the second thing we know, is that even if they're not a believer, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God put eternity in the hearts of men. And so everybody alive today, according to the scripture, has an eternal longing in their heart that can only be satisfied by God. And the third thing we know is that even if someone is not a believer, Roman Romans 1 tells us that deep down inside, because we see creation, everybody instinctively knows whether they'll admit it or not that God exists. And so regardless of whether or not a person is a follower of Jesus, every single solitary human being that is alive today is created in the image of God, has an eternal longing for the Lord in their heart, and deep down inside knows that he exists. Now, I want you to watch how John says non-believers are gonna respond when they encounter your righteousness. In John chapter three, verse 19, it says, John says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. Watch what it says next. It says, and people loved the darkness 
rather than the light because their works were evil. He said, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. And so, Sage Mont, when you live a godly life, when you shine the light of Jesus, your righteousness, listen, your righteousness shines the light of the truth of Almighty God. And what that does is you shine the light of the truth of Almighty God as it confronts and it exposes the evil of people's hearts and the evil of their actions. And when you do that, when their unrighteousness is confronted with your righteousness because they love their sin and they love the darkness, they're gonna hate you for exposing their evil. I mean, think about it. Why in the world, think about this, why in the world do people hate Christians for being against abortion? I mean, think about it for just a second. As believers, because we believe that every child is created in the image of God, as believers, we're against the killing of unborn babies for crying out loud. And they hate us for it. Why? I mean, all we're doing is say, hey, maybe let's, let's not, kill children and they hate us why do they hate us here's the answer because they know it's wrong they know it's wrong they're created in the image of God they have an eternal longing in their hearts deep down inside they know God exists the scripture tells us that they absolutely positively know it's wrong. I don't care what anybody says. They know it's murder. And so when we stand up and we shine a light onto that evil and say, hey, that's not right. That's murder. Our righteousness confronts and it exposes that evil and they do not like it. Persecution should never shock you. It should never surprise you. Because when you walk into the light, your righteousness will confront and it will expose people's darkness and their response will always be to hate you, to say evil things against you and ultimately to persecute you. And so for, for us to get to the place where we see persecution as a blessing, that's step one. We gotta stop being surprised by it. Jesus said it was inevitable. Number one, persecution is supposed to be inevitable. Here's the second thing today. Persecution is supposed to be for righteousness sake. Okay, before you will ever get to the place that you look at persecution as the blessing Jesus said it was gonna be, you gotta make sure you're being persecuted for righteousness and not something else. Now, let's think about this for a second. Let's talk about what Jesus said this persecution coming into our lives is actually gonna look like. Because a lot of times when we think about in our minds what persecution is gonna look like, we automatically think about the really bad stuff that happens to other Christians in other countries where people are martyred and they die for their faith. But Jesus says that persecution can take these other really more common forms. So look at Matthew chapter five, verse 10, one more time. He said, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I wanna read that one more time. He said, blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you. So Jesus says persecution is gonna take three forms. He says they're gonna revile you. That means they're gonna hate you. That means they're not gonna like you. 
You're not gonna be popular in this world because you're a follower of Christ. He says, two, they're gonna persecute you. That means they're gonna treat you poorly. They're gonna treat you badly. They're gonna hurt you physically, emotionally, maybe even financially. Jesus said another form of persecution is they're gonna utter all kinds of evil things about you. Pretty simple. They're gonna say bad things about you on account of Jesus. But then I want you to watch why. I want you to watch why Jesus says that persecution ought to be coming into your life. In verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus says. So here's the thing. Jesus says persecution will inevitably come into your life, but the reason that it ought to be coming in your life is for righteousness sake and on his account. And some of us are experiencing people hating us and we're experiencing people saying bad things about us. And, and so we're saying, oh man, I'm being persecuted. But the reason that you're being persecuted isn't because you're living a godly life, but they're persecuting you because of your own sinful behavior. I mean, think about this. If you were speeding and you got a ticket, you're not being persecuted by the police. You got a speeding ticket because you were breaking the law. If, if, you're, if people are unfollowing you on Facebook or whatever, or maybe they're even distancing themselves from you in real life, that might very well be because you're lovingly shining the light of Jesus and exposing their sin, or it might be because you're mean or you're arrogant, or you're judgmental. If you're being overlooked for a promotion at work, that might be because you started a Bible study and, and you're leading people to Christ, or it might be because you have a bad work ethic and other people are outworking you. Say your spouse isn't getting along, you're not getting along with your wife or your husband. And you think, man, my wife, my husband, they're persecuting me. Maybe that's because of your righteousness or maybe because it's being, you're being a jerk to your spouse. I want you to listen to this quote by theologian Michael Glado. He said, the, the suffering described here is not the thorns and thistles of the fall in general, nor is it persecution due to hypocrisy, judgmentalism, or just general obnoxiousness. It's certainly not imagined persecution of heightened sensitivity that has more to do with identity politics than the cost of discipleship. The suffering that is blessed here is suffering for righteousness' sake, being persecuted for doing the will of your master. Okay, so if you're, church, if you're being poor in spirit, you're gonna be persecuted because you're exposing the pride of others. But if you're being haughty in spirit, you're gonna get persecuted because you're being arrogant. If you mourn your sin, if you mourn your sin, you're gonna be persecuted because it's gonna expose the self-righteousness of others that don't mourn their sin. But if you don't mourn your sin, you're gonna be persecuted because you're a person that refuses to repent. If you're meek, you're gonna be persecuted because your meekness is gonna reveal the brutality of those using their power for their own benefit. But if you're not meek, you're gonna be persecuted because people are gonna see you using your own power for your own benefit. You see that? 
Bottom line is that if we're being reviled and people are speaking evil against us, we have to make sure that they're doing that because we look like Jesus, not because we look like the devil. <laughs> you know, there's absolute, Jesus never says there's gonna be blessing when we're persecuted because we're acting like mean, obnoxious, worldly people. And so number one, Jesus says persecution is supposed to be inevitable. And number two, Jesus said persecution is supposed to be for righteousness' sake and on account of him. Now, here's the final thing today that helps us understand that persecution is a blessing. And it's number three, Jesus tells us that persecution is supposed to be a cause for rejoicing. It's supposed to be a cause for rejoicing. And this is when we start getting it. Check this out, Matthew 5, 11. Jesus said, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And in verse 12, he says, rejoice, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus tells us when you walk out the doors of your home and you live out these beatitudes and persecution inevitably comes into your life, Jesus says this is your response. He says you rejoice. And he says you be glad. Now what does he mean by, by those things? Let's take a quick look at those two words. What is, what is he saying that we're to do? Well, the word rejoice is the Greek word kahiro and it means to be full of cheer. So when persecution comes in our life, that's supposed to fill us up with joy. And then he says the word be glad, or the phrase be glad, that's one word in the Greek. It's a Greek word aglialo, and check this out. It's literally a word that means you jump for joy. You jump for joy, and I was thinking about it. I was like, that's crazy. Jesus says we're persecuted, we jump for joy. And I was trying to think of the last time that I remember seeing somebody jump for joy. And, and the last time I remember seeing it was our worship leader, Dudu. When he leads worship, the dude loves Jesus, he jumps for joy. But then besides Dudu, I was trying to think, what's the last time I saw somebody actually jumping up and down for joy is something that happened in their life. And the last thing I remember, last time I remember seeing it was one of those publisher's clearinghouse commercials from back in the day. You remember that? Somebody would come to, uh, Ed McMahon maybe, would come to people's door and say, hey, you won $12 million. And people would lose their minds and they would start jumping up and down for joy. Church, that's the word he uses. He says, when you're walking in righteousness, when you're shining the light of the truth of Jesus and people hate you, they revile you, they utter all evil things against you, your response should be to rejoice when that happens in your life. It's like you say, yes, <laughs> yes, I'm being persecuted. And then the second thing you do is you jump for joy. You look like Dudu on the stage when he's worshiping. You jump for joy. Let me ask you guys a simple question here. Is that how you're responding to persecution in your life? I ask that because here's what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing from a lot of people in the church, and this is across the board, I'm not talking about Sagemont, only I'm talking about the church in America. What I'm seeing in the American church as we encounter persecution is I'm seeing people respond in anger. For the first time in 
most of our lives, if we grew up in America, we are experiencing real legitimate hate and persecution for being a Christian. And I'm not seeing people's response be rejoicing, but I'm seeing people respond by getting really angry, getting really mad about it, threatened. Here's the other thing I'm seeing from Christians is I'm seeing a lot of fear. I'm seeing a lot of fear. Go on YouTube today if you want to, if you're bored, and and type in something like end times Christian persecution. And what you're gonna find is you're gonna find video after video after video of Christians completely freaking out that this is happening to us. Now, guys, I want you to listen to me really carefully here. I don't think Jesus is telling us here that we don't fight for what's right. I don't think Jesus is is telling us here that we don't actively pursue religious liberty. I don't think he's saying that we don't actively pursue the fair treatment of believers. I I don't think he's saying whatsoever that we don't fight as Americans for what's right in this country and for countries around the world. But what I do think he's teaching us is that when, when persecution inevitably comes to us, that our response is not to be anger and it's not to be fear because to respond to persecution with anger and fear is what non-believers do. Church, your, your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, he said, my followers are going to be persecuted. And when that happens, when that happens, not if, but when, when that happens, you respond in a radically different way than the world. The world gets angry. The world cowers in fear. We rejoice and we jump for joy. Now, here's the question, guys. Last one. Why in the world would we jump for joy and rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted, when people hate us, when people say all kinds of evil things about us, okay? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 12, she said, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. He said, for your reward is great in heaven. And then he says this, he says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so he says, look, when persecution comes, you don't get angry, you don't get mad, you don't be scared, but you rejoice. And then he gives two reasons. He says, number one, he says, because they persecuted the prophets who went before you. You know, one of the reasons that you can rejoice and you can jump for joy when you experience persecution is that you know you're standing in this long line of faithful saints that have suffered before you for the name of Christ. In Hebrews eleven thirty-five, 35, it says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And, they, and, and then the writer of Hebrews talks about how the, uh, the people of God were, were persecuted. He said, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Did you hear what he just said? He said some were tortured and they refused to accept release. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. He says others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. That's persecution. You're getting getting flogged for Jesus? That's persecution. And then it goes next level. He says they were stoned. I don't think being stoned sounds like fun. 
And then he, then he raised the bar again. He says they were stoned and, and they were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. Then he talks about their poverty. He says they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And he says, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You can rejoice. We can jump for joy when we suffer for Jesus because in a very real sense, you are united with and you experience a fellowship with this untold number of godly men and women who have suffered before you. And now in heaven, they're in, they're in this great cloud of witnesses that are watching us from heaven and they're cheering us on saying, keep going, keep enduring, don't give up. You're gonna be here one day and it's all gonna be worth it. But guys, not only that, but when you suffer, when you're persecuted, you are united with and you experience a unique fellowship with Jesus Christ that you can't experience anywhere, anywhere else apart from suffering. In Philippians 3, 8, Paul says this. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And he said that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now watch what he says in verse 10. He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Guys, that is unbelievable. When Paul said, here are the three things that I want more than anything else in this world. Here are the three things that I have considered everything else that I've accomplished or want to do in my life is rubbish. He said, I want to know Jesus. That's the most important thing. It has a surpassing value. I want to know Jesus. And he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And the final thing he says, he says, I want to experience the fellowship of his suffering. Can you say that? Can you say that these things that I want more than anything else in my life is I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life and I want to experience the fellowship of his suffering. Paul says there's an intimacy. There's a fellowship with Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, and the only place you can experience it is when you're suffering like Jesus suffered. And so when that suffering comes, don't get mad. Don't be afraid. But rejoice because you're gonna experience an intimacy with Jesus Christ you can't experience anywhere else. I'll end today, I wanna give you the final reason why Jesus says we rejoice, we jump for joy when persecution comes in our life. Matthew 5, 11. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Such a countercultural statement. 
goes against everything the world thinks. So many of us are trying like crazy to avoid persecution in our lives. But Jesus says when it comes, you rejoice because your reward in heaven is gonna be great. And guys, that's exactly what Paul was talking about. In Romans chapter eight, verse 18, when he said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Paul said, there's a glory that's coming. There's a joy that's coming and there is a reward that's coming. And when you see it, it's gonna make all these things that you went through in this life worth it. The sufferings you experience, they are not even worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed to you in heaven because you went through it. And so you need to remember that if you get mocked now, you're gonna get a crown then. If you lose your job here, you're gonna be seated in the heavenly places there. If you get ridiculed now, you're gonna reign with Jesus then. If you get spoken of evil here, you're gonna hear, well done, my good and faithful servant there. And if you lose your life now, you're gonna live forever then. And maybe most importantly, if people turn away from you because of Jesus here, you're gonna stare in the face of Jesus there. And church, so until that day comes, endure. Endure this present suffering. Rejoice, jump for joy, and don't ever forget that no matter how well through the rest of your life that you live out these beatitudes, don't ever forget that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, came before you and he lived them perfectly. Since he became poor, yours is the wealth of the kingdom of heaven. Since he mourned, you get to experience the comfort of God. Because he lost everything, you and I are gonna inherit the earth. Because he cried out, I am thirsty, you and I will never thirst again. Because he is merciful, you can receive mercy. Because he is pure in heart, your heart can be made new. And because he is a peacemaker, you and I now have peace with God. And finally, and most importantly, because he was persecuted on the cross, you and I have eternal life. So let's pray. Father, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to this great love? Jesus, there is none like you. I read these beatitudes 
everything inside of me says, this is the word of God. Yes, there is happiness here. Lord, I've tried it everywhere else. There is no blessing there, but there is blessing in following you. I believe it with all my heart. Thank you for showing us what it looks like. Give us the strength to walk them out. Forgive us when we fail. Help us to turn to the cross when we don't. And until you call us home or you return, let our cry be, Father, you can have everything. You can have it all. You can have my heart. You're worthy. We love you and we praise you. We ask that you would do this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.